Hello and welcome to The Aside, a podcast for drama teachers and students. You can find The Aside on SoundCloud, the Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, Android podcasting apps, and now Spotify. The next eight episodes of The Aside come from Drama Victoria's mini-conference 2019, Jumpstart, where Heidi Irvine is in conversation with Wesley Enoch about Indigenous perspectives through drama. These episodes were recorded at a live event, so the audio quality isn't as high as it usually is. This is part six of the eight-part series. If you have not listened to the earlier parts of the conversation, I encourage you to go back and listen to those for context. Part six is on the question, what are your views on Australia Day celebrations? And that was that interesting thing that came out, which, you know, quite often around um, Australia Day and kind of that idea of where where you sit in that world. Um, and I think it was um, Brooke Boney who was on, who's now on the Today yeah. Show, who kind of said, I... I can't get on board with celebrating this day because I know that the statistics are against me as an Indigenous woman and what, what that means. And I think, um, interestingly, a lot of that, that was the, that when I was at Sydney Festival, that was around that weekend and um, sort of the statements you made with something like the vigil that happened at Barangaroo. And it, it's kind of, I what I really enjoyed listening to you talk about was that it's the stuff around, you know, Noel Pearson's idea of what that looks like. And I, even in that article you wrote for The Australian, talking about Indigenous culture and that idea of going where, that almost compartmentalisation of it. Like, yeah, so... But it's interesting, that the notion of one doesn't disallow the other. You know, the, yeah. the, the idea of um, the acceptance... or the, the, Noel Pearson talks about these three narratives. I don't know if you know about this, but... Um, he talks about the three narratives of this country are the 100,000-year-old history, the longest continuous culture on earth is here in this country, the British colonial project and all the institutions we've inherited, like the one we're sitting in. You know, these kind of theatre companies and, and uh, parliament and uh, the judiciary and all these kind of institutions, that's also part of our narrative. And also the most successful multicultural, multi-ethnic nation on the planet that that's that there are the three narratives and that they're often seen in conflict one contradicting the other when in fact our lived experience you can look around the room right now and we that experience is already here you know we we live that experience those three narratives every day of our lives but somehow at a, at a capital p political level they seem to be in competition they seem to be antithetical so for me, there's a, there's, a, there's a point where you go, if we're saying accept all of our history, accept the 100,000-year-old history, it also means accept our present and accept our immediate past. Um, and Australia Day is one of those very interesting issues. Remember that we're all, most of us are old enough to remember that in fact it wasn't until 1994 that we said it had to happen on the 26th of January. Mm. The tradition in this country was a long weekend at the end of January, the end of summer. Mm. And it always used to be, you know, uh, a Monday. Didn't really matter when the 26th was. And in 1994, when they legislated it had to happen on the 26th of January, everything started to come up. Why and how? In fact, I wrote, a, I wrote an article for the Saturday paper. Uh, I think you can still Google it. Talking about this, the history of Australia Day and why aren't we doing it? The first Australia Days were all in July. <laughs> and there were fundraisers for World War One, yeah. 
and they used to happen on a Friday. Yeah. So because everyone used to be paid on a Thursday, mm -hmm. and it was a fundraiser, so you used to then give money on a Friday to the Australia Day Fund. Yeah. And it changed in the 1930s because the sorry, the oh. the Australian Native Association, um, which was um, Australian-born men from Melbourne, mm -hmm. set up the ANA, and they during World War One and World War Two said with a kind of a flush of empire said, oh, well, we should celebrate the 26th of January um, because that's, that's an important date for this country. And the rest of the country said, fuck off. That's New South Wales Foundation Day. What about our Foundation Day? <laughs> and it wasn't actually ever... It, then we had the 150th... I can never say it. The 150th in, in 1938... Uh, and that's the first time that we had like a, an Australia Day that the nation looked at on the 26th of January and then never celebrated it again on that day for another 50 years. So the tradition is a very early one. And so, you know, so this is a long yeah, way of saying you're right. when we don't, when we start thinking that history is only what we can remember. <laughs> Then we've got real problems. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're having a very, very different conversation. That's the, like that's the thing. It's, this is and and I think that this is what is. But these are educators. I mean, you know all this. Yes. Yeah. And, and the sense of saying, you know, what a little bit of diligent research allows you. And this is me googling. It's not like it's information hidden away somewhere. You can just Google and find articles and find things. And it's been said several times. But this whole notion of how sometimes it's too hard because you start to find information that doesn't agree with your with your view of the world and and the the notion of research has become and it's so easy to do just bolstering up your opinion as opposed to finding um, facts figures dates raw data to question why you think something the way it is now and, and that's, I think, a more difficult situation in Aboriginal Australia, because often the perspective of the writer is um, a, a non-Indigenous person, you know? So, uh, well, where I come from, so we use the term migul, um, which basically means ghost, you know? Or we use dugai, which means evil kind of spirit. You know, if you're a white person, you'd be either called a migul, if they're being nice, or dugai, <laughs> and this this idea of um, it, you know, then or, or actually Eora is maybe a better one when you know um, in comes Philip and says, and what do you call your people? And they say Eora, which basically means people. <laughs> you know, we are Eora, and they say, oh well, so the tribe is now Eora, and then. You, it progresses all of that stuff for ages and ages until they actually go, no, no, settle down. This is what this means. Uh, a more clear example, I should say, is the Mumba Festival. <laughs> you all know the story? Which I love this idea of, you know, the Aboriginal folk, the, 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 the burghers of Melbourne come to the Aboriginal folk and say, what should we call our festival? And they say, you should call it Mumba, <laughs> which literally means up your ass. <laughs> Mum, meaning bottom and bath being in action so you know so you say you're the king of mumba <laughs> <laughs> so 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 a white historian writes 
you know, humba is a very important word, da, 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 and the black people go, <laughs> like this. There is irony and humour in a whole range of things that are given to, um, to, to, to white anthropologists. Or often they were male, so that they only got a male perspective, not the female perspective. And so the contestability of the written uh, history is, is it's difficult. And if you accept too that the, the reason why um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Aboriginal cultures are the longest continuous culture on earth is because they also have built into them adaptabilities. Yeah. Uh, and this notion of a uh, uh, big concept, the, um, I was taught that every story that was ever going to be told in the history of humanity was done in the time before time. And that every story is laid into the landscape. So there is no such thing as a original idea, an original story. It is an act of memory. And if you believe that in a lot of Western cultures, there's the belief that time is a continuum. Um, that in Aboriginal cultures, place, land is the continuum of which time is then layered up. And so to, to engage with a, a, a new story, to seek inspiration, to get the divine breath, you need to sit on country and then connect through all the layers of history to connect to the story that's in the landscape. You know, lots of different ways of talking about inspiration in that way. Uh, it also then separates an indigenous uh, storyteller from any um, ownership of story, that it is collective, it is in the landscape, it's there, uh, and, and laws have found it very difficult. In the last 20 years, the whole moral rights legislation has tried to deal with this in a much better way than, than um, copyright. You know, copyright says if I take a photo of something, I'm the owner of the copyright. Whereas, you know, uh, moral right says, you've taken a photo of me painted in my traditional uh, body paint. You know, I don't even own it. The culture, the community owns that. And so this whole collective ownership, individual ownership, the laws are quite difficult because it's written from a very particular perspective. And so how do you kind of uh, work through that? So, so for me, this notion of when you talk to uh, an indigenous storyteller, elder, you know, they may tell you a story now, and then in 10 years time, they tell you the same story, but it's, it's changed and modified, that that's because it's also engaged in um, uh, this adaptation process along the way. Uh, the Hind Marshall Island scenario that people might remember from about, oh, what, 15 years ago, 20 years ago in Adelaide, where there was an island in the middle of um, uh, the river, must have been Murray, and um, they were building a bridge um, and a uh, Hindmarsh Island, and the the women were saying it was a sacred site, and the anthropologists could not prove that they had a record of it being a a uh, a, a, a cultural sacred site in in their history. But the women were saying this is absolutely a, a sacred site. And then this knowledge, this whole idea of could they prove it, could they not prove it, could they prove it to the point where a court of law would accept it? They then sealed the information, they gave the information, and only women could read it. So they had to find you know, a woman judge to engage in this cultural material. Um, 
and it just keeps saying, on whose terms are the negotiations happening? And sidebar, native title is a really extraordinary, um, you're reminded that it was set up by the Howard government. <laughs> and it was this point where it, the, the burden of proof is on the part of the Aboriginal people <laughs> of a particular area to prove unbroken connection to the landscape. And unfortunately, the only way to do that is through mostly anthropological notes that have historical um, records. So unless an anthropologist, or, or in fact, it might have even been a, you know, a man of the cloth, you know, a religious leader or a, um, a, someone who chronicled the era or whatever, talked about you, then if you can't do that, then you can't prove connection to landscape, so therefore native title can't be proven. And it was interesting, Stradbroke Island, where my family come from, we, we have native title, but it's this weird thing where, I remember the meeting, which took a whole day, because there was a particular family line that was on the native title claim, and we all know that they're all kind of related, but because there was no proof, we had to take that family name off the claim, and the day of fighting was extraordinary. And in the end, it was said that if that name wasn't taken off, that it, it might jeopardize the whole native title claim. And it was extraordinary because the because we were all saying, we know this family is part of our family and have been forever. And they've been married in and married out. And just because they couldn't prove the name and the line doesn't make them invalid in this kind of conversation. But in the Western eyes, they couldn't be part of it. Um, and uh, especially in this part of the country, the Yorta Yorta claim, which was complex, really complex, because we're also talking about, you know, centuries of colonization that have removed a number of the, the markers of proof that the Yorta Yorta claim was thrown out. And if you've um, seen or read Andrea James's Yanagai Yanagai, which goes to the heart of this, this discussion where, you know, there's this moment where they talk about, I can't remember the exact number, 130 minutes or whatever the, the right amount of time is, where they go out and they come back and they say, no, these people aren't, aren't from this landscape or we can't prove native title here and how devastating that is. And this notion of if you are not connected to landscape, if you're not connected to place, then how do you prove story or how do you prove authentic voice or how do you um, articulate through your language your connection to place? It's a very complex thing. And I, and I think that we've all got scars. Every Aboriginal person in this, in this country has some form of scarring that's come out from this idea that we need to keep negotiating, not on our terms, but also on the terms of non-Indigenous folk, so, sorry, sidebar. You're right. The, the, the voice to parliament, the Uluru Statement from the Heart. What an incredible gift, beautiful thing, beautiful piece of writing, the sense of kind of generosity, which is met with a, no, we don't think we could ever get that through. Not going, well, this will be hard, let's do it. But a sense of going, we can't do this, so therefore we'll stop it. Now, I don't know if you know the history, but that is six years in the making. Six years of indigenous gatherings, expert panels. Um, uh, I think it was in the end $15 million 
just kind of pouring into this. It might have been more than that. Anyway, don't quote me on the number. But the sense of all this money and time going through for constitutional recognition and then kind of decide, you know, and the whole treaty discussion, which Victoria is so, so up there. Victoria is the leading the way on the treaty, treaty conversation at the moment. It's extraordinary. Um, but then when that's met with this idea that we would never be able to get that through, because it takes the constitutional change, you start to realise that competing interests, the competing interests of democracy, well, no, let's say politics, then ideas of democracy kind of trump any idea of the moral responsibility and the sense of history. And so, just in a microcosm, that kind of disappointment, that sense of intergenerational um, commitment to an idea just goes on and on and on and on and on, and that it's, that we pass on both the trauma but also the sense of the goal to the next generation and the next generation, and trying to keep it as strong as it can be. So I know lots of sidebars there. Yeah, there were many, but that's I, I you know again I think that it was um it, it's kind of good to it's we're aware, like you said, as a room of had people who are aware of aware of the history and those sorts of things but I think it's always timely to kind of go where with every step forward there's been steps to the side steps backwards and I think that we you know even sitting there you know and talking about native title and thinking about going I've never had to prove the land that I'm on and I've never you know I just kind of yeah it really is that moment where it does, even though with everything that I know and the places that I've been, I, I still, it still sets me on my ass a little bit sometimes. Where I go, fuck, that's right. Well, you, you remember the whole kind of um, dual citizenship that uh, issues that happen in Parliament. I was talking to uh, Mother Derry McCarthy, who's an Aboriginal um, member of Parliament, and the Indigenous Caucus said, "We are not going to prove." that we are Australian. <laughs> we are not going to prove it. You can go get fucked. <laughs> you know, they write us, so, they ask right, all these so. kind of things and yeah. they say, you know, what, you want to prove that, you want proof from us that we are not dual citizens. Yeah. And so they didn't provide the information at all. And no one questioned it, because I'm like, no, which is fascinating. I remember my, my sister, uh, who I said, she's a politician in Queensland, and um, she remember her tweeting saying, um, uh, you know, dual citizen, let's say a thousand generations. <laughs> let's just say. Yeah. Well, that's it for this episode of The Aside. But please do keep listening for the rest of the interview with Wesley Enoch on Indigenous perspectives through drama. You can find The Aside on SoundCloud, the Apple Podcasting app, Stitcher, Android Podcasting apps, and now Spotify. If you would like to ask us a question or you have a suggestion for a future episode, please do not hesitate to contact us at asidepodcast at outlook.com. We answer a number of emails each week and are more than happy to help. Thank you to Drama Victoria for supporting this podcast. Thank you to Aaron Searle for providing the music. Thank you to Eltham College for letting us record here. And of course, thank you for listening. <laughs>